We're building our whole life on Jesus. Come on, you may be thankful today, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. You guys are crazy. Golly. Awesome. Welcome to Young Adults, everybody. Welcome uh, to the 20-something ministries of Red Rocks Church. We're so stoked that you guys are here. Um, I'm so honored that you guys are here and that you have joined us for this series called His. If you are just now uh, catching up, we have been in this series for the last five weeks, and we decided that instead of, um, we do a lot of series that are super cool here, um, where we focus on how to, you know, overcome obstacles in life. We focus on how to um, live life to the fullest, things like that. And we thought, well, how cool would it be to spend a couple of weeks and instead of looking at ourselves, we just look at him and we look at his glory and we look at his goodness. And we have spent five weeks in this series. We have been, uh, spent five weeks in this series of just looking at his glory, looking at his goodness, looking at his sovereignty, and it has been awesome. If you came in here and maybe you knew him as the king of kings, you probably left knowing him as the Lord of lords. If you came in just knowing him as the prince of peace, you probably left knowing him as the great physician. Like There was just movement here where he was revealing his character. Um, and I was thinking about, uh, as I was praying about how to summarize this series, um, um, it's going to sound kind of interesting, but as I was thinking about and praying about how to summarize this series, I thought to myself and, and uh, in prayer with the Lord that there's a whole bunch of people in here in the room and then maybe watching online who are listening to these sermons about how he is glorious, he is good, he is sovereign, but right now in your life, there is nothing really all that good. There is nothing really all that glorious. In fact, you would say that maybe um, your life is filled with a little bit of pain right now. And I thought that we would take our last night of this series, and I want to honor him, and I think this is going to honor him, by talking about who he is in the middle of your pain. And so tonight, um, I just want to ask you a simple question. What's your present pain? What's your present pain? The thing that keeps you up at night, the thing that replays in your head, what's the pain that you're carrying around in your life right now? And uh, Jesus says this, well, through Hebrews. He says, and it was necessary for Jesus to be like us, his brothers, so that he could be our merciful and faithful high priest before God, a priest who would be both merciful to us and faithful to God. For since he himself has now been through suffering, he knows what it is like when we suffer. And he is wonderfully able to help us. I titled tonight, if you are taking notes, his presence in your pain. His presence in your pain. And let's invite the Holy Spirit to be here. God, I thank you that you build your church. And God, I step aside. <laughs> I love you so much. I thank you for um, the last seven years of building young adults. It is yours. God, the church is yours. God, it is ever advancing. It is ever moving. It is taking more ground day by day. And God, we re release it to you tonight. And God, in this moment, I ask that you would be here in a real way. I trust you. I know your presence. I know your goodness. I pray that tonight um, I would just step aside and you would move. I love you more than anything in this world. 
In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. All right, so uh, my husband and I, John, we are raising two daughters. I have a younger, uh, my youngest daughter, she is eight months old right now. Um, She is full of smiles. She is constantly loving towards everyone that walks in the room. She loves people. I think that she is truly a picture of the fact that we are created in the image of God, just pure and loving. I mean, she's like a little angel, like wrapped in baby fat, you know? And um, I just love her. I love her uh, sweetness. She is so sweet. And then we have an older daughter, and you guys have heard me uh, tell stories about her. Um, her name is Brooklyn Diane. Uh, she is two years old, going on 25. And, uh, and she is a strong-willed girl, okay? And if you are not a parent in here, probably most of you are not parents in here, uh, but the thing about this is, like, you'll talk about your kid with other parents, and I'll be at a park, and I'll be like, man, my kid is just like, really strong-willed, you know what I'm saying? And and other parents always, like, like they want to chime in or, like, one-up you or whatever, and so it'll be like, oh, my God, I know. Gilbert is very strong-willed as well. And <laughs> But then I look at Gilbert, and he looks like a Care Bear. And I'm like, no, mm, no. Um, my daughter is strong. I mean, strong-willed, driven, smart, funny. I believe she could be the president of the United States someday, so be nice to her because she could determine your tax bracket. Like, um, She is just full of life. She is um, full of vibrancy, but she is driven, and she is strong in her heart. She is strong in her will, okay, and that's one thing. But Brooklyn is also, like, for two, she is very strong in her body. And so she's like an ox here and like a tank here, right? And so um, so we will go to, uh, we will go to like a park or something like that, and she will get focused on whatever it is that she wants in that moment. Like she will look and she'll be like the climbing wall. And she looks at it like Von Miller looks at a quarterback is the only way I know how to describe it. Like she's just like, <clears throat> you know, and she's like, and she's like, tossing toddlers like to get to it and right and it doesn't matter if you're a boy she's like Judy Chop you know or if you're like 12 years old and twice her size she's like elbow you know like just whatever it takes she gets to the climbing wall and because of this uh, because of her fierce will and then her bodily strength uh, the girl always gets her I mean she's just always running into the fray and so I I took a little picture of her this was actually a while back but this is one of the bonks she got it's like she dabbed a countertop, you know what I mean? So, bam! Um, this, is how, this is how she is, honestly, I would say 80% of her life. Like, we don't beat her, this is self-inflicted. And, um, and, but the thing about my daughter is, is that she is very familiar with elective pain. Elective pain, meaning this, she is good with pain if there's a purpose to it. She's good with it. Like, if she's going to run and sprint all over the thing and she ends up, like, cracking her head on the climbing wall, she's, she's fine. She'll, you know, cry for a few seconds and then she pushes me away and she's back at the climbing wall. Like, there is purpose to her pain. And it's the same thing with Spanx. I came downstairs the other day and uh, she was up on the countertop and she was, like, in our uh, cabinet with her hand in chocolate chips. And I was like, Brooklyn, you know, because I'm an awesome mom. And I was like, Brooklyn, this is how I talked to her what are you doing, you know, and she's like, whoa, and you know, and I'm like, bruh, for real, and I'm like, you know, and it's a high crime in our house to steal chocolate chips, and it's punishable by Spanx, and if you're like, oh my goodness, I'm not going to sting my child, you don't have children, so, um, so I'm like, I'm like, upstairs, you know, upstairs, 
you know, and I get her upstairs, and I get her over my knee, and I'm like, bam, right? And she just looks at me, and she's like, (laughs) (laughs) and this is what she was saying with, she was saying, that was so worth it. I got like eight handfuls of chocolate chips. (laughs) Like, who's the fool now? Like, you know, and and my daughter is, is familiar with elective pain. Like, she will endure pain if it means that there's a purpose, if it means that she can get something that she wants. And you and I are the same way. Um, when it comes to our lives, we will endure pain if it's elective. If you are in a job and maybe, um, you know, you want a promotion, you're there early, you stay late, right? And you're there all the time. You have a boss that makes you suffer, you know, and, and you endure because you want the promotion. There's a goal. There's a purpose to your pain. For those of you in here who have tattoos, I'm not making fun of you. I'm just, I was hoping you'd be like, woo, but you're all like, okay. Sinners. Kidding. Oh, okay. <laughs> Draw you out and chop you down. Um, I'm kidding. I have a tattoo. So anyway, uh, so you go, you go to this, this guy who, you know, maybe doesn't have a high school diploma and who probably has like nine smoke picks, you know, it's real sanitary while he's like doing your thing. But, and you get pinned with a needle millions of times, but you're good with it because it's elective pain. You run a marathon and you run miles and why would you want to do that? But you run miles and miles and miles to train for it, and you get blisters and shin splints, but you are good with it because the pain means something. We are good with elective pain. What we are not good with is unelective pain, and here's what I mean. It is pain that you did not ask for. It is pain that you did not want. It's a phone call telling you that a family member has been in an accident. It's the moment your college loans double and they are insurmountable. And you know that. It's a text message from a girl saying, it's not you, it's me. (laughs) And if you have not experienced pain that has taken your breath away, in all gentleness and kindness, let me just pass you and shepherd you and say, there will come a day when you will experience an unelective pain that threatens to crush your chest right where you stand. Jesus said this. He said, in this world, you will have trouble. You will have pain. In fact, in John 15, 16, and 17, he's preparing his disciples as he's getting ready to resurrect and go back up into heaven. And he says this. He says, sometimes we forget what exactly the world is. There are three things that are coming in conflict and that are assaulting and that are at war with your soul. It's the world. It's the enemy. And it's your flesh. And the world, it's the unholy trinity. The world is just one of them. And we sing songs like Louis Armstrong's What a Wonderful World. And I like danced with my dad at my wedding to that song. It's a beautiful song. But here's the theological reality. It is not a wonderful world. It is a broken, fragmented, fractured, absolutely fallen and godless world. There is Christ in you and there is Christ not in the world. There is the Holy Spirit in you. Any goodness that we see in the world is the result of God at work in the world. It is not a result of the world. Do you understand? And Jesus says this. He says, um, the world is at war with you. The world hates you because I am in you. It is coming after you, Christian. And then 
he says this, John 16. In this godless world, and this is the message version, but I just like the godless part. In this godless world, you will continue to experience difficulties, but take heart, I've conquered the world. In the world, you will experience burdens. You will experience hardships. You will experience trials and suffering. And no one in this room is exempt, not the rich, not the poor, not the talented, not the famous. No one is exempt from pain. In this world, you will experience pain. And then he says this, and and, because I just want to cheer you guys up. Jesus says, All right, God, I'm going back to the Father. Woohoo! Like my stint on earth is done. And um, and then he says this: He says, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of this world any more than I am of this world. So if it feels like, oh my gosh, something is really wrong here, it's because there is. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. In other words, Jesus is saying, I'm not going to retrieve you out of this fallen place just yet. And so we will experience unelective pain. We will experience pain that takes our breath away. And we'll say things like this, like, God, why is this happening? It's because of the world. God, what have I done to deserve this? Probably nothing. You were born. And so you experience pain on a level you never wanted to. And Jesus assures us of two things in John 14, 15, and 16, and 17. He says this, he says, in this world, you are going to experience pain. And so what's your pain tonight? In this world, you are going to experience pain But then where I want to camp the rest of this night is is his second assurance, and it's this. He assures us that he will be with us in the middle of the pain. He assures you, not always that he is going to rescue you out of it, but that he will be there right in the middle of your pain. Before he left this earth, he prayed for us. And in John 14, he says this, I will ask the Father, and he will give you a helper, and he will be with you forever. Lo, I am with you always to the very end of the age. I am right in the middle of your pain. I am right at the epicenter of your pain. And that's what I want to convince you about tonight. I want to do him justice and make sure that everybody in this room understands and knows who their Jesus is in the middle of your crisis tonight. I want you to understand who he is in the middle of your darkest nightmare tonight. I want you to know who he is in your pain. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Mark 5. We're going to hang out in Mark 5 all night. It says this, When Jesus again crossed over the boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. And he pleaded with him earnestly, My little daughter is dying. Please, come, put your hands on her so that she may be healed and may live. And so Jesus went with him. All right, so uh, this is uh, fairly, you know, uh, a good amount into Jesus' ministry, and he is beginning to uh, really gather a crowd. And there, you know, there are no TVs back then. There are no, like, there's no, like, Netflix, right? And so, like, this is the show. Like, 
you don't know what, what's going on, and then, you know, your Uncle Bob is like, oh, my gosh, this dude's like, he's casting out demons. And so everybody comes, and they're kind of like just like crowding around, kind of hoping for Cirque du Soleil, right? Like they're like, do the one with the demon, Jesus. You know, like, like, they're, like this is most of the crowd. When you read like large crowds gathered, this is most of the crowd. They were just kind of like looky-loos, like, oh, what's happening? You know, like that kind of a deal. And so, and so, but there were a few people that were there because they were desperate for salvation and because they were desperate for a miracle. And this is Jairus in this moment. Jairus comes to Jesus and he lays at his feet and trusts him. And he is a religious leader. And so uh, for Jairus to come and lay at his feet, I mean, this was, this was a, a big deal. It was a big thing because no Jews at this time or a, a large amount of Jews thought he was a heretic at best. And so... He comes and he casts himself at his feet and he presents his issue to Jesus. And he says, my daughter's dying. And um, I, I, just being vulnerable and real and honest, I can picture no greater nightmare than my child's suffering. I can picture no greater pain in my life than one of my daughters going through something that I couldn't save them from. And so every night, John and I lay them down, and like the, the earnestness of the prayer in, in our hearts is so deep, and we pray that God would make, Jesus would reveal himself to them, you know, even at a young age, and then we, we say, God, and protect them from this world. Protect them, God, from evil people. Jairus' daughter is sick, and she is sick on a deathbed, and this is pain that he did not ask for. This is pain that he did not want. And so what's your present pain tonight? What's your pain in this moment? For many of us, I think when unwanted pain shows up in our lives, the very first thing that we do is we regress. When pain arrives uninvited, we regress or we retreat. For most of us in here, we will show up on Sundays and we'll show up on Thursday nights and um, we, you know, we're kind of like going through the motions. Like we raise our hands in prayer and in worship, but deep down we're thinking like, how could you let something like this happen? How could you, like were you sleeping? And we, we retract from the Lord, we retreat from the Lord, we move away from the Lord. Jairus goes to Jesus and he presents his pain to the Lord. But for a whole bunch of us in the room, when we feel pain, that will not be our human reaction. Our human reaction will be to kind of go back into ourselves and to not bring it to him. In fact, for a whole bunch of us, we probably think some like Christianese term is going to heal it. And so we'll be like, well, Romans 8, 28, God works all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. I don't feel that. I don't really believe that, but I'm just going to say it and I'm going to be numb. And so we don't present our pain to Jesus. We don't bring it to him. We don't lay it at his feet. And I was reading this week and I was reading about David. And if you read the Psalms, David was a man after God's own what? Heart. If you read the Psalms, 70% of the Psalms are David not praising, but complaining. He's sitting there and he's like, oh my God, like, did you leave me? Like, you are the worst. Like, where are you? My feet have slipped. And then he says, things, like, we would stage an intervention for somebody who, who, prayed like this. We would be like, whoa, dude, because he's like, Lord, spear my enemies. Lord, Lord, destroy, destroy them by your angel armies. And I'm like, whoa, dude, like, like we would not pray this way. 
And we do not complain to God because something in us thinks that that's wrong. Something in us thinks that that's unholy. And so we complain to everybody else in our life about our problems. We complain to our moms and our sisters and our friends here at YA about how terrible this situation is. And we never lay it at the feet of Jesus. We regress. And tonight, I think he wants you to understand that you can complain to him. I think he wants you to understand that he is a big boy and he can handle your issue. You come to him and you lay it at his feet and you say, please, God, deal with this. And if you won't, what kind of God anyway? Like I come to you in pain. He wants to hear all of it, the depths of it. Lay your pain at his feet. You complain long enough and pretty soon you'll develop a prayer life. Complain to God. We can present our pain to him. Jairus falls at Jesus' feet and he presents his sick, dying 12-year-old daughter. And I love it because Jesus immediately, he stands up and he goes with him. This is the heart of Jesus and it's refreshing to me as I read it. He immediately responds to the pain, but then it says this. A large crowd followed and pressed around him, and a woman was there who'd been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all that she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in uh, in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I touch his clothes, I'll be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. And then skip forward to verse 33. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at the feet of Jesus, trembling with fear, told him the whole truth, and he said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader, and they said, Your daughter is dead. Why bother the teacher anymore? So Jesus hears the cries of Jairus, And he goes with him, and then he gets interrupted by this woman, and um, he heals her. And I picture Jairus in this moment being like, the moment he hears about his daughter passing away, like I picture him like instant angry, like just, like, are you kidding me? Like, she's been bleeding for 12 years. You think you can go another 20 minutes and come to my house? Like, you can come back for her later. You healed the wrong girl. Jesus is literally in the middle of a sermon to this woman, like a mini sermon, like, daughter, you are freed from your suffering. And in that same moment, someone's coming to him and saying, your daughter is now dead. I mean, picture this moment. And there is something that you and I do in the middle of our pain. There is something we all do. This is a human thing. It's something I do. When pain comes and it's uninvited, we regress But when pain goes unanswered, we distrust. And Jesus comes and he falls at the feet of Jesus. And in this moment, he is full of belief. When he tells him of his pain, when he tells him of his daughter, he is full of belief, full of faith. You are the healer. I know it. And I think this is us in our lives. We come to church and our arms are raised and we cry out and we pray. And sometimes, sometimes we present our pain to God. And sometimes our pain goes unanswered. And I think something in our faith fractures. The biggest thing that I would think would fracture for every single person in here is that your faith would fracture when it would come to the character of God. 
How could you? <laughs> is this a game to you? Have you ever said that to God? I have. Am I a toy? Am I a toy to you, God? Do you not see my pain? You said you'd never leave me nor forsake me. I feel left. You said that you'd be with me always and that you'd empower me. My life feels powerless. Where are you? And we begin to doubt the very character of God. When trial comes into our lives, we put the character of God on trial. And according to the book of Job, which is one of the most intense books in all of the Bible, this, one, this man who had his entire life taken from him, his children, his wealth, his, his health, Everything, according to scripture, the reason that Satan or his goal or his ambition, what Satan was hoping would happen is that he would steal all of these things and in the middle of pain, Job would decide that he didn't want anything to do with God anymore. This was Satan's goal to absolutely destroy not just Job, but Job's relationship with God. That was his ambition. That was his hope. And 3,500 years after that book was written, hear me out. This is still his goal. He looks at you the same way. And he says, I can't take your soul because it's eternal now. It's destined for heaven. And so my hope and my goal, this is Satan talking, is to absolutely wreak havoc on your relationship with God. I want to make you doubt his goodness. I want to make you disbelieve his um, authenticity towards you. I'm going to absolutely fracture who you think he is. And when we distrust, we put distance in. When a friend uh, betrays you or says something uh, that's hurtful to you, you put a little bit of distance in. When, uh, you know, when I go shopping and I spend too much at home goods, John takes the credit card away and, and they put some distance there. Because <laughs> there's distrust. When a significant other promises you something and they fail to meet that promise, there's distrust and you put a little bit of distance between yourself and that person. Distance occurs when the human heart distrusts. And we look to the heavens and we're like, are you really loving? Are you really caring for me right now? Do you really never leave nor forsake me? This is Jairus and this is every single human being on the planet. This is how we handle our pain, because we're human. Because we're human. And so tonight, I want to ask you again, do not guard and hold up the hardness of your heart tonight. What is your present pain? What is your present pain? And is there a place where you look to the heavens and you no longer really believe about a character piece of God, about a goodness piece of God, about a, a fulfillment of promises that God has promised you? You no longer believe it because pain has made you uh, regress and it has made you distrust. And so you have put some distance there between you and this fractured image of God. Jesus looks at Jairus and he says, all right, Jairus, because he overhears what's happening. He overhears this conversation and it says this, overhearing what they said, Jesus said to them, don't be afraid, just believe. <laughs> oh, okay, great. <laughs> don't be afraid, he says, just believe. And I think in this moment, I, I don't think Jesus is just asking Jairus to believe in, in his capabilities in the Christ's capabilities to heal. 
I think what Jesus is asking him is to believe again in, in the goodness of Jesus. He looks at him and he says, just believe, Jairus. Believe me. Believe me. I'm not just capable. I want to. I'm not just able. I'm good. He wants him to believe again in his character. And that leads me to the point I want to make about his character in your pain. And it's this. It's that in your pain, Jesus is close. In your pain, Jesus is close. Where there is pain present, so is Jesus. If Satan's goal is to use pain to rip you away from your heavenly father, Jesus' goal is to get into the middle of your pain and embrace you as closely as he possibly can. C.S. Lewis says that God whispers to us in our pleasures. This is true. He says that God speaks to us in our consciousness, but he shouts in our pain. You want to experience the power of God. You will experience it like never before, but it will not be when all of your dreams are being achieved or when you receive everything that you thought you wanted. It will be in the middle of your deepest pain. He will be there in the middle of it with you. The Psalms say this, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. Believe, Jesus says. Believe, Jairus. Believe that I'm the good shepherd. Believe that I'll never leave nor forsake you. Believe that you are closer than my brother and that I'm for you. And he gets up and he goes into the middle of Jairus' pain. And it picks up here. It says, he did not let anyone follow him except for Peter, James, and John, uh, the brother of James. There's so many, and they're all named the same. Um, when they came home to the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. And they went in and said to him, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. And they laughed at him. After he put them all out, because they laughed at him, he was like, get out. He took his child's father and mother and disciples who were with him and he went to where the child was and he took her by the hand and he said Talitha kum which means little girl I say to you get up and immediately she stood up and began to walk around she was 12 years old and they were completely astonished Jesus goes to the home of Jairus and he brings the daughter back to life and I know um, that we read this story and we read the success of Jesus' capability and the success of Jesus' promise towards Jairus, and we think that that might be the point of the story. But I just want to present to you tonight that maybe this story isn't so much about the promise of healing his baby girl. Maybe this story is about the promiser and about the goodness of the promiser, that Jesus would only bring his dear friends, into the middle of this room with Jairus and his wife, and they would experience the moment of pain together, that Jesus would be there right in the middle of what he was feeling, in the middle of his darkest moment. And I don't know if you noticed, but all throughout Scripture, anytime Jesus is, is walking around, he's right in the middle of someone's pain. If someone is hungry, Jesus is there. If someone uh, lost their identity to prostitution a long time ago, Jesus is right there. Someone has been rejected by every single husband she ever had. Jesus is right there. Somebody is blind and, 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 and has been stricken with blindness their whole life. He's right there. They've been stricken with an illness to the point where they don't have any hope anymore. Jesus is right there. 
They're hungry. He's right there. He, he looks at him and he's like, they need a shepherd. And he's right there. He is right in the middle of their pain. He is present in your pain, church. Present in your pain. And we know that he goes to the cross for us, right? Any good Christian is like, yes, Lord, thank you for going to the cross for me. That word passion, the passion of the Christ, means to suffer. When he goes to the cross, he suffers. And Jesus, all throughout the Gospels, he would use this word when he would come uh, into people's lives who were experiencing pain. And the word was compassion. Compassion, which means to suffer, that word passion, to suffer, and then with to suffer with. Jesus would go to these people who were in their darkest moments and he wouldn't just be with them. He wouldn't just heal them. He would be with them and he would feel it with them. He suffered. He co-suffered with them. Jairus is feeling pain. He's feeling hurt. Jesus has compassion. The, the widow of Nain who already lost her husband and then lost her son, Jesus feels it. And he feels her pain. It says he had compassion for her. He looks out at the crowds who have been listening to him preach for three days. And they're like, he's like, they have to be starving. I, I'm starving with them. Compassion. He looks around and he says, these two blind men have compassion. He feels what they feel. Everything. Every, every ounce of it, Jesus felt it. Every moment of it, Jesus feels it with you. One of the many reasons that he went to the cross, his primary reason was for dying for your sins. And if you don't know that tonight, that, um, let me just introduce you. There is a God who created you. He uh, is a triune God. He sent his son to die for you. He sent his son to die for you so that he might atone your sins and my sins. And so Jesus' primary reason for coming to this earth was to be crucified for you so that you might be reconciled to God. That's his primary reason for getting crucified. But you know what the second reason is? It's because he wanted to be human and feel me and feel you. He wanted to be able to enter into everything that was humanity and feel it with us. If you have felt betrayal, Jesus was betrayed by a best friend. If you have felt rejection, Jesus has, was rejected by his own people. If you have been sexually abused, he was assaulted and ripped of his clothes and put up naked. If you have been in here and you have been tormented by darkness and thought, so has Jesus. If you have been full of doubt about God's plan, so has Jesus. He, he sweat blood in the garden doubting his father. If you have been tempted in this lifetime, so has Jesus. If you have felt abandoned in this lifetime when he was up on the cross, all of the sins of the world were bore on him and his father had to turn his back. Jesus felt abandonment. He has felt it, church. Every single thing that you feel and I feel, my Jesus has felt it with me. He has felt it. And Hebrews says this, for we have not a high priest that cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. He feels it with you, but was in all points tempted like we were, yet was without sin. And it was necessary for Jesus to be like us. This is Hebrews 2, 17 through 18. His brothers, so that he could be our merciful and faithful high priest before God, a priest who would be both merciful to us and faithful to God. For since he himself uh, has now been suffering, uh, he knows what it is like 
to suffer, and he is wonderfully able to help us. Jesus became human because he wanted to be like you. He left his throne to be like you. He wanted to feel what you feel. He wanted to experience what you experience. And I can't fathom the kind of depth or the kind of humility or the kind of love that he has for me. It overwhelms me. It brings me to awe of a God who loved me enough because, to, to feel what I feel. On a, on a daily basis, on a weekly basis, my weakness, my worries, my pain. He wanted to feel every single bit of it so that when he came to you in the middle of your pain and he sat with you, you would know that he was safe and you could trust him again. This is a, the God that we serve. And band, you guys can come back up here. He is our friend, and he is present in our pain. And Jesus didn't stop the pain from initially seizing Jairus. He didn't. But he promised Jairus that he would be in the middle of it. And in this lifetime, 2,000 years after this has been written, I have sat with so many people and done life long enough and experienced enough of this world to know that Jesus doesn't always stop the pain. He doesn't. I wish that he did. I wish that I could say to you that he could bring your mother back. I wish that I could say to you that he could revive that thing that died a long time ago in your life, that relationship. I wish that I could say to you that he stops the pain and that he keeps it from hurting you. But that's not what he does. But what he promises every single time is that he will be with you right in the middle of it. Going to the cross, Jesus assured that he could be with us in our pain. But then listen to me. And this is where your good news is. Your good news is not in America. Your good news is not um, the world looks for happiness as their end goal. And when pain comes in, they have no meaning in life anymore because they, they don't know how to cope anymore because happiness was the goal and they're not happy. But for the Christian, the goal is not happiness. And you need to understand that for the Christian, the goal is to be more like him. And so what God does in the middle of your pain is he meets you in the middle of it in a way you couldn't possibly imagine. And he sits with you. And he fashions you. And he stays with you. He's a good, good God. Jesus died so that he could be present in your pain. But there's one more part of the chapter, and it's what's coming. And you should set your sights on what's coming, church. You should, you should gear your life towards looking at his. You should gear your life towards looking at the kingdom and gear your life towards looking at what is to come. Back in the day, the church, they would say Maranatha, which, which meant maybe today, maybe Jesus will come back today, and then we can go to heaven. Maranatha, maybe Jesus will, maybe today. Maranatha, maybe today, maybe today, maybe today. Because their hope was in heaven. Their hope was in heaven. But for, for, for us in America in 2017, we forget this. And we make our hope about, I don't know what, but it's not the fullness of Christ. It's something else. And tonight he wants you to return to that because he died so that he could be present in your pain. But listen to me, when he resurrected, 
what he made possible for me, and I can't wait, what he made possible for me and for you was to be in a place where there is no more pain. Anytime he would heal somebody in this lifetime, and listen to me, I believe that God heals. I believe that he restores. I believe that he can revive and that he still heals today, but sometimes he does not. But he will meet you in the middle of the pain. But when he does heal, right, like he heals in the gospels, it's a deposit, guys of what's to come. When he resurrects somebody, that's like the, the appetizer of what's to come. When he heals you, that's like, that's like just the, the beginning of what is to come. When he restores something in your life, that's nothing compared to what's to come. He has something for you that far outweighs and far outnumbers anything you could possibly imagine. There is a place that we get to go to where pain is no more. It says this in Revelations. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place uh, of God is with man, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be their God. They will, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death or mourning or crying. Can you imagine? Or pain. For the former things have passed away, meaning this world is donezo. And the one who's seated on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. Would you stand up, church? With every head bowed, I'm asking you a simple question tonight. Have you presented your pain to God? When is the last time that you presented your pain to Jesus? When's the last time that you came to him with your hurt, your frustration, your anger, and you laid it at the feet of Jesus and listen to me the Holy Spirit is a gentleman he will not go where he is not invited and so tonight if you want to experience something new if you want to experience his character again and his goodness again and and his presence in your pain with every head bowed if you would like to give Jesus just a simple pain tonight would you raise your hand Amen. hands all over the place and if you're in here and you don't know this Jesus that I talk about, who calms the storms, but who has so much more for us in heaven, who heals the sick, but who has so much more for us in heaven. If you don't know this Jesus tonight, I just wanna simply invite you. The Bible says that if we are unashamed of Jesus before all of man, he will be unashamed of us before heaven. And you can receive his saving grace tonight just by slipping up your hand and saying, I want Christ to be my savior and my life. And so if that's you in here tonight, would you just raise your hand nice and high, nice and high, I see you, nice and high. Amen, 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 amen. Awesome. Lord, I thank you tonight. I thank you, Jesus. I thank you that this is your kingdom. For every hand that raised to receive your salvation, God, we pray a prayer and we say, God, thank you for dying on the cross for our sins, for uh, making us completely whole, completely stainless, completely free. And God, we thank you for resurrecting us and making it possible, God, for us to enter into a kingdom that is without fear, that is without blemish, that is without uh, uh, pain. God, thank you for wiping away our tears in the days that are to come. And God, I pray over everyone tonight that we would present our pain to you and you would meet us in the middle of our pain. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Let's worship.